Everyone needs a pastor. A visit to the pastor's study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and help from those with proven experience in Christian service. We want you to be part of the program during the 30 minutes ahead. To visit the pastor's study today, text your question at 516-367-0391. Again, that's 516-367-0391. Now welcome to today's Visit to the Pastor's Study with Pastor Bill Shishko. And I am your host, Pastor Bill Shishko. We invite your calls. Now, if you're listening on Saturday, the live call-in number, 631-955-5400. That's if you're listening on Saturday and you'd like to call in and be live on the program, 631-955-5400. Or as the voice of a visit to the pastor studies already said, you can text your questions any time in the week. Put that under Pastor Bill and text those questions to 516-367-0391. Well, as we wrap up our ministry month on a visit to the pastor's study, it's important that we continue to think through what's probably the most challenging field for presenting the Christian faith, our secular age. In our last program, I introduced you to what I regard as one of the best books to help us get a handle on our secular age and how to reach it with the gospel, and that book is Disruptive Witness by Dr. Alan Noble. It's subtitled Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age, and we barely scratched the surface of that topic last week. For this program, I want Dr. Alan Noble to have more time to open up his carefully thought out, and I might add very rich assessment of our secular age, and I want us to have more time working out what it means to be, interesting term, disruptive witnesses. I hope you get the connection. In a distracted age, we need to be disruptive witnesses. Dr. Alan Noble received his Ph.D. from Baylor University. He's an assistant professor of English at Oklahoma Baptist University. He's also co-founder and editor-in-chief of Christ and Pop Culture. His writings have appeared in Christian publications such as Christianity Today, First Things, and Modern Reformation, and in secular outlets like The Atlantic, BuzzFeed, and Vox. With good reason, his book, Disruptive Witness, was on the short list of World Magazine's best accessible theology books that were published in 2018, and we'll hear from Dr. Noble in just a moment. Now, again, we invite your questions. If you're listening on Saturday, you can call the studio and be live on the program, 631-955-5400, or text your questions anytime, 516-367-0391. Dr. Alan Noble, welcome again to A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Thank you. I'm excited to be here on time. Oh, we've got a lot, we've got a lot to do today. <laughs> you you make so make make so many good points. You make the point that in a in a distracted age, on uh, which a lot of our distraction is driven by consumerism, the Christian faith can be regarded and even presented as just one of thousands of options that are out there rather than as the truth as it is in Christ. Can you develop that for us a bit? Yeah, so, you know, when um, there's this dynamic that all, all Christians have, all churches have, where, you know, we're, we're in the world, but not of the world. And Paul, 
you know, it, it said, you know, he's going to be all things to all people. But uh, he does this without losing his Christian distinctives. And throughout Christian history, we've, we've struggled with this tension, because we know that um, speaking into a culture means using a language that, that will reach that culture. But there's also things that we can bring in from that culture that actually distract or undermine the very message that we're trying to communicate. And it's difficult sometimes to tell the difference between those two. I think for the modern church, we've uh, many times adopted the marketing strategies, the language of uh, consumer, the larger consumer market, because we know it's effective marketing, right? So what can, what can happen is, let's say, you know, a church is advertising a new sermon series, and so they will communicate, whether it's through a, a, an ad on Facebook, maybe a picture of a family, you know, sitting together at a park or something, or maybe it's a commercial or whatever, you know, uh, uh, you know a new sermon series about how to bring your family closer together. And, um, and, and that kind of language is very, very similar. In fact, it's, it's basically indistinguishable from all the other promises we hear all day long from marketers who say, try these essential oils and it will, you know, cure this problem. If you just exercise properly, you will have this fixed. If you use this medication, then you will be a better dad. If you get an education, you'll have this, right? Everything is promising us we will, you know, buy this TV and your family will, you know, sit together on the couch and enjoy movies together. Um, So it's this language of here's how we will improve your life through a technique, through a method. And, and, and the only difference that, that people are perceiving is that the method is Christianity. And, and I do think that there are some churches where, you know, people are attracted because they say, you know what, I want, I want to upgrade my life. I want some life improvement. Um, and what I fear is that, that the people who are attracted to churches because of that, when the pastor finally preaches a sermon, if he does, where he calls out a, you know, a sin that makes somebody uncomfortable, that person is going to say, gosh, this isn't improving my life now. This is making me feel uncomfortable. I need to go someplace that's going to improve my marriage and help, my, you know, you know, help me manage my finances better and help me be more content and joyful. So the effect that all that has, and, and I, you know, marketing is just one of many examples of this, but, but it's a good one. The effect that that has is that, that people see Christianity as just another thing, uh, offering promises to people, saying, come over here, this is what you'll get if you, if you choose this product or service. Um, and, you know, the truth is that Christianity isn't an option that we have. It's a way of explaining the very ground of being. This is what reality is. And if we don't present it that way, we're doing a great disservice. All right, so how, this is a massive question, how do you avoid that? I, I have a specific illustration I want, I want to bring yeah. up in a moment. I, I mean, it works the other way, too. I, I hear ads on the radio for these uh, health food products, and people will say, this is like being born again. I'm being yeah. transformed. So it cuts <laughs> both ways. How, Absolutely. How, does, how do churches avoid falling into that trap? Yeah, when it comes to specifically to marketing, um, it's difficult, and you're not so. So first of all, here here's the trick: 
um, in our contemporary society, and I think I'm going to get into this in the next book, but I, I, I hadn't got there for this book. Our contemporary society, in addition to secularism, it's also driven a lot by something called technique. And technique is when we use rational methods to maximize efficiency. And what ends up happening is efficiency is the most important thing. So when it comes to advertising, what can happen is churches think, well, what's the most efficient way to advertise? What's the most effective way to advertise? Rather than making efficiency and effectiveness one of several values. So efficiency should actually be subservient to the truth when it comes to marketing, right? Uh, if If you're trying to tell people about your church. So what that means is churches have to accept the fact that, you know what, you're when you put ads or billboards up or whatever, they're going to get fewer results than any other service that's offering stuff. Because you're going to have to give your message in such a way that you're not bringing in people uh, at any cost. You're bringing in people uh, in, in an honest and accurate way. So um, I, I think often, I think that most churches, their primary job is to let people know that they exist. Right. So just, you know, that we're a church and we're here and and generally just sort of leave it at that. Well, I have to tell you, Dr. Noble, as I was reading your book, I I was working on the groundwork for this church plant that I'm involved with right now that's called The Haven. And we were designing mugs that have the name and the church (laughs) service on it. And the four things we go back to, to the, to the creation ordinances of, of community and calling and, and, and character and so on. And they're on this mug. (laughs) And I'm saying Mm -hmm. to myself, oh boy, have we capitulated to the culture. So, so uh, are you going to, are you going to correct my (laughs) conscience or are you going to go after my conscience a bit more? So here's here's the thing that all all of this that we're discussing is on a, a spectrum, and it's just a matter of discernment because we're talking about semantics, which is what things mean, okay? And and there are some hard and fast rules, but they're at the margins. Most things exist somewhere in the middle, and so um, you know uh, the church plant I'm involved in here in, in Shawnee, Oklahoma, we have pens made up. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong. We have T-shirts made up. I'm not entirely thrilled with <laughs> yeah. it, but you know, <laughs> it's like. But but you know the thing is is that you know I, Shawnee, Oklahoma. Look, Presbyterianism is not huge in Oklahoma, so it's pretty important for us to have shirts so that just people see. Oh, there's a Presbyterian. I wonder what that is. Yeah. Like yeah. Okay. just letting people know we exist is valuable. So. But I'll tell you, there are some churches, and what they do is they're so focused on branding that I think if you visited the church, you would feel like you're experiencing this church's branded um, worship experience, right? And, and the sort of image of that church would be sort of at the forefront of your mind, rather than coming in and feeling and, and experiencing Christ's body gathered. Um, that's, what's got, that's what it's got to be. So... There, these aren't hard and fast rules. Um, they're not something that you know we should feel guilty about. I think they're things that we should, uh, you know, use discernment, try our best, and trust in God's grace. Okay, that, that, this fascinating introduction. We're all. Go- I'll be glad to send you a mug then, if you like. You've, <laughs> relie- you've relieved my conscience <laughs> <Yeah>. a bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
We, okay, in part one of Disruptive Witness, I want to get to part two after the break, but you use Charles Taylor's phrase, the buffered self, ways of people insulating themselves from God as the ultimate reality, and then you present how that's a barrier to our Christian witness in today's secular culture. Can you give us some examples of that? Yeah, so the best way to, to, to explain the buffered self is to go back to the Middle Ages um, to, to talk about the poorest self, which is Taylor's phrase for uh, sort of the opposite. In the Middle Ages, he, uh, if we were Christians living in the Middle Ages, and if we were in Europe, we would have been Christian, um, we, would, we would know that there are certain seasons, certain times of, uh, of the year that have sacred significance. And uh, we would know that if we went to certain places, whether a cathedral or maybe a holy site, uh, it would have spiritual significance. And um, what's, what's important here is that those spiritual things could actually affect us, whether we chose them to or not. In other words, um, you know, a spirit could, you know, enter me and affect my life. Um, you know, God's grace could come in and affect my life, whether I chose it or not. Um, uh, so it's a world, in other words, where the spiritual, uh, there are this, you know, what we would call today the supernatural, but the spiritual and the, and the material aren't completely separate, separate. But in the modern world, that's, for the most part, most of us do not think in those terms because of a, a number of factors. We generally think that we are, uh, I like to call it, um, we have a sort of bumper that sort of goes around us. And we can reach over that bumper and select a spiritual experience, you know, maybe that's some new age thing, maybe we're playing, you know, with um, you know, with tarot cards or, you know, whether it's, or, or Christianity, we can reach over it and choose to allow something spiritual to affect us. But in general, our attitude is that we have a sort of brute naturalist understanding of the world. So um, this, is, this is difficult. It's difficult to, to get people to understand that when you're talking about uh, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, rose again for our sins, that this isn't just a, this isn't a figurative thing, that this isn't a, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's not a, or a lifestyle. This literally happened in, in, in as, you know, Schaefer would say, in, you know, in, in time and in history or space and history, you know, like, this, this happened. And that same God is alive right now. Um, and, and so I think w- one of the things it means is that we can't just assume that when we talk about a living God, that people actually are conceiving of a living God, because I think it's our, our default as modern people is to not actually think in those terms, is to, to think of God as, as sort of figurative or as an ideal, not as real. Well, let me let me give this as an illustration, Dr. Noble, see if I think I think we're saying the same thing. Back to the mission church that I'm involved with, Presbyterians have historically and rightly resisted the idea of a church calendar being imposed on the church that you must mm-hmm. observe Pentecost Sunday or even Easter Sunday or whatever. And 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 I appreciate that. However, what we're doing is when those days in the church calendar come, we're emphasizing them, not because we're bound to do it, 
but because we're making a statement about what actually did happen in history, whether people right. want to believe it or not. Is that the kind of thing you're talking mm-hmm. about? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And I think, the, I mean, the Lord's Supper is the, is the, is the best example, right? So when, when I take uh, a part in the Lord's Supper, um, you know, I'm, I'm going up and um, something, you know, God's ministering to me. It's a, it's a means of grace. Yeah. And um, it's not because I'm worthy of it. Right. It's not because I've worked. It's not because I've searched out every sin and repented. Of course, I've you know gone through confession and repentance, but I, I haven't gotten all of them. I'm not a pure person. I don't deserve this. It's not because I go up and elect to take it. It Christ is working. Uh, he's ministering to me, and there's something that happened, and I, I don't you know it's sort of a mysterious thing, but it is a means of grace. There's a, 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 a some spiritual act of grace that takes place there. Uh, and that's a difficult thing, because I think what people want to do is they want to take something like the Lord's Supper and just be like, well, it's, you know, it's just, it's this cognitive thing. It's like celebrating a birthday or something. You're just, right. you're just thinking about it more. And, uh, of course, reflection is, and contemplation is, is part of it. But, but we believe that we're worshiping a living God, and when yeah. He says that, you know, He's with us when we gather that literally means that. Exactly. That's one of our themes. It's the theme of the book of Acts. Jesus is alive, and he is at work. And, well, folks, if if you're finding this fascinating, then you need to get the book by Dr. Noble, Disruptive Witness, published by InterVarsity Press Books, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age. We're, We're just skimming the surface. Dr. Noble will be back after this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study, and I want him to address this one question, practical suggestions for being disruptive witnesses in cultural participation. But first, let's hear from the voice. It's not enough to listen to pastors on the radio or to watch them on television. Everyone needs a biblically faithful pastor and everyone needs a biblically faithful church. A Visit to the Pastor's Study is a ministry of the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in the metropolitan New York area. We're no substitute for a faithful pastor in a local church, but we are a supplement. Visit our website, www.visitthepastorsstudy.org, and you can bring the ministry of this program right to your electronic device. Here you'll find archives of past programs, a weekly message from Pastor Bill's Pastor's Post, helps for pastors, helps for congregation members, material for officer training, and much more. That's www.visitthepastorstudy.org. And we also invite you to contact the host of this program, Pastor Bill Shishko. You can email him at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. He'd love to hear from you so that he can bring his pastoral ministry to you personally. That's Visit Pastor bill at gmail.com remember everyone needs a pastor and now back to today's edition of a visit to the pastor's study i'm your host pastor bill shishko we're having fun today dealing with ministry in a secular age something that is a particular challenge my guest is dr alan noble author of among many other things disruptive witness speaking truth in a distracted age published by ivp books text your questions anytime in the week and i'm sure you've got loads of them 516-367-0391 okay dr noble let's go to the second part of disruptive witness we only got about uh, two and a half minutes for this We're talking about how to do it, and that's what most people are looking for. Talk with us about 
some practical suggestions for being disruptive witnesses in cultural participation. All right. So by uh, cultural participation in that section, I'm generally thinking, you know, all the different ways we participate in culture, whether it's watching films or reading books or um, being involved in organizations, whatever it might might be. Um, Earlier in the second half of the book, I make the argument that there there are a couple of experiences, basic human experiences, that tend to shake us up. They tend to disrupt our lives. And I encourage the reader to sort of lean into those experiences and, um, and encourage uh, the people we're, we're ministering to to lean into those experiences rather than fleeing from them. Uh, the two main experiences are, are of beauty and of grief. Um, when we experience uh, uh, something like you know, the birth of a child, it is a, an experience that cannot be reduced to purely the biological reality of, you know, if you're a husband, your wife giving birth to a child. That's what happens, yes, but it's not all that happens. You just intuitively know that something special, something that, that this life means more than just the, you know, the, the molecules that makes up this life. Um, but we often, our society encourages us to kind of just move away, to be, you know, to take pictures of the baby and to, to quickly get caught up in the flow of life and to not contemplate what does this mean? Because what it means is that we live in a world created by a loving God who creates people in His image. And the same thing is true with grief. When, when we lose a loved one, it helps us stop and realize something about the, the world that we live in, that, that there is injustice in this world, that there is sadness, there is sorrow. And it often makes us sort of reevaluate uh, who we are and why we're living. Now, um, so what, what I encourage, I, I think good uh, works of, of, of art, whether it's film or books or music, often will depict these things. And these are ways of experiencing, you know, vicariously uh, this kind of grief. So I think of the first 15 minutes of the Pixar movie Up, um, you know, where the, the, you know, the couple, uh, you know, the, the husband loses his wife. Um, best 15 minutes of the, of the entire film. And, you know, everyone cries when they see that. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I think we can, you know, uh, we can come alongside people and uh, talk to them about the significance of that to wow, them. Excellent. You know, what excellent. does that mean? Um, why does that move us? Wow, great. Dr. Noble, g- give us your contact information real quick. Uh, you can find me at oallennoble.com and at christandpopculture.com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Noble. Get the book, folks, Disruptive Witness by Dr. Alan Noble. Time for counsel from the pastor's study. The Bible says we are to be witnesses of Christ. And I want to remind you of Dr. Noble's rich conclusion on page 171 of Disruptive Witness. He says, our calling, that is as Christians, is not to invent allusions to God in our lives, but to reveal and affirm the ones that are already necessarily there. Now, it's that language of revealing and affirming the allusions to God that are necessarily in us and are around us. I don't know of anything more helpful as we think through ministry to a secular culture. Now, I'll put it in my language. Be right up front 
about the truths of the Christian faith and how they bear on everyone, whether they know it or not and whether they like it or not. Now, be wise about these things. Always be gracious. Be winsome. But be right up front and be honest. Speak the truth in love. Let me give you a couple of examples. Pray before your meals, not just at home, but in public. Deep down in their hearts, all people know that we should be thankful to the one from whom all blessings flow. Be an example of someone who's honest about that. Use your entire Sunday as the Lord's Day Sabbath. Even people from the secular community recognize that human beings need time to rest, to meditate, even to worship. Be honest about the meaning of Sunday as a celebration of Christ's resurrection from the dead and as a day to rest, to get a reality check by focusing on the God in whom we live and move and have our beings and to worship that God publicly together with local groups of the people that he's gathering by his grace in what we call churches. And of course, Dr. Noble has given some illustrations, as he does in the book, about intersecting with popular culture. Anyway, these things are going to keep you busy being truly countercultural and also being genuinely disruptive witnesses in our secular age. My thanks to Dr. Alan Noble, author of Disruptive Witness, for being my guest on a visit to the pastor's study. Like us on Facebook and share the program and weekly pastor's post with others. Remember, Sunday is the Lord's Day. Set apart time to worship the Lord in a church that's faithful to the Word of God. And remember, everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to this week's A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York Incorporated in the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches of Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week for another Visit to the Pastor's Study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.